Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Thursday, June 23rd, and this is your FT News Briefing. U.S. markets were pretty much flat yesterday, even after the head of the Federal Reserve said a recession was possible. Moscow says a drone hit an oil refinery in Russia. Military experts say it's likely the latest in a series of Ukrainian attacks. And nearly half of Africa doesn't have access to electricity. We'll take a look at how much it would cost for the continent to get there. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Fed Chair Jay Powell told Congress the economy could stand even tighter monetary policy, higher interest rates, that is. But he also said there could still be a recession. Powell says avoiding the economic downturn depends on factors outside the Fed's control. Those include the war in Ukraine and the COVID lockdowns in China. Markets seem to greet Powell's words with a resounding meh. The S&P 500 lost a little more than a tenth of a percent on the day. It's down more than 20% since its peak in January. A fire broke out at an oil refinery in Russia on Wednesday because of a drone attack. That's according to state media. It's one of several attacks that military experts say are likely linked to Ukraine. The FT's John Paul Rathbone is here to discuss them and give an update on how the fighting in eastern Ukraine is going. JP, what are these attacks targeting and how significant are they? So Wednesday's attack was by a kamikaze drone and there are a couple of things that are important about it. First of all, it appears as though it was a Ukrainian drone and because as a lot of Western allies were concerned about the use of Western weapons would be launching attacks into Russia. So that's not the case here. And the second point is, There have been other attacks inside Ukraine behind enemy lines, which are arguably just as significant. Anything to slow down the Russian advance, make their life difficult, complicate their logistics. There was one on the 1st of April when there was a massive explosion in Belgorod of a Russian oil refinery there, apparently from Ukrainian helicopters. Although in this case, and in the Wednesday attack, Neither side has really commented on whether it was a Ukrainian attack or not. So that's a curious feature of these attacks. So we've talked about this a little bit on the show, how Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky has made a big push for more weapons and longer range weapons. Has Ukraine gotten them and are they making any difference? Well, they're slowly filtering in, um, especially the heavy artillery for the land. Germany sent in some very powerful tanks. And the U.S. and the U.K. are sending multiple launch rocket systems. What's important about the multiple launch rocket systems and the U.S. HIMARS is that they have long ranges that go far beyond the average 20 kilometers or so that artillery can reach. What's interesting in these two attacks that we've just been talking about here is that it was Ukrainian um, weapons that were involved. And as Western weapons start to arrive in mass and as Ukrainians are trained how to use them, and maintain them, which is a key component, that could start to help to tilt the balance in Ukraine's favor. Got it. So the odds are are not in Ukraine's favor right now. Most of the fighting is going on in the eastern part of the country. Can you give us an update on how that's going? The Ukrainians say that the artillery that the Russians have is perhaps 10 times what they have. The odds that they're facing are horrible, and the bravery that they're showing is extreme. And the town of Severodonetsk um, is all but encircled, 
and it's a kind of repeat of the gory scenes and destruction that we saw in Mariupol, where the city is effectively razed, and there's a holdout of some Ukrainian forces in a factory. That's the kind of general picture in the Donbass, grinding war of attrition, very ugly for both sides, huge rates of casualties on both sides. And in these kinds of battles, it's really a test of endurance and morale and the ability to supply the army, whichever side you're on, with the manpower and the artillery that they need to keep going. That's the FT's John Paul Rathbone. He's our defense and security correspondent. $25 billion a year. That's how much it would take for Africa to have universal access to electricity by the end of the decade. So says a report from the International Energy Agency that was released this week. The IEA's executive director, Fatih Birol, says energy access is the biggest barrier to the continent's economic development. The FT's Tom Wilson has been looking into this, and he joins me now. Hi, Tom. Hi. So what does access to electricity in Africa look like right now? So according to the IEA stats, about 43% of the population still lack access to electricity, which is a, a massive proportion, and that's far greater than the, than the deficit in any other part of the world. This is one of the most interesting things that jumped out when I took a look at the IEA's uh, energy, Africa Energy Outlook earlier this week. Um, and that's the point that access to electricity in Africa had actually fallen by 4% with between 2019 and 2021. And that's a big surprise. In general, despite the fact that Africa continues to wrestle with access to energy, it was on a gradual upward curve. And the fact that it's actually regressed over those, over those three years is really quite shocking. Now, what did the IEA's executive director, Fatih Birol, say are the biggest barriers to increasing uh, electricity access? His focus and the focus of the report was, was really on financing. Of all of the flows for climate finance, and that includes energy finance, flowing from advanced economies to developing nations, only about 7% of that goes to Africa. And really the IEA's objective in putting this piece of work out is to try and raise awareness of that funding deficit uh, and encourage particularly multilateral development banks will be needed to anchor many of these investments, to really focus on on boosting the flow of capital into the continent. And there were some opportunities this year, not least the fact that the next global climate summit, COP27, will be held in Egypt in November. As such, it's really being seen as an African COP, as an opportunity for African countries to make a big push on clean energy investment and to really uh, encourage global flows of finance to, to head towards the continent. What does the report say about how much of the energy can be achieved through Africa's renewables? So the uh, the IRA report is, is it's not hugely detailed, but where it talks about the different splits, it outlines 80% of the new generating capacity required by 2030 to come from renewables, particularly from solar, wind, hydroelectric and geothermal. I mean, solar is a vast potential in Africa. However, the second thing that really stood out from this report and from my conversation with, with Fatih Birol is that he also argued in favour of an increase in Africa's production of natural gas because 
certain parts of heavy industry simply need at the moment natural gas in order to operate things like the production of fertilizer, the production of steel and cement. And, and why this is particularly interesting is that to some extent it goes against something which the IEA said last year. So last year they brought out a, a flagship report where they outlined what the world would need to do in order to reach net zero emissions by 2050. They said that no new fossil fuel developments were required. What they're saying here is actually slightly different. They're saying it's only fair to allow Africa to develop more of its own hydrocarbon resources uh, in order to industrialize. Tom Wilson is the FT's senior energy correspondent. Thanks, Tom. Thanks very much. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. From a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.